Um, this is a message. It's one of my favorite messages to preach of all time. Some of you may have heard this before, but I, I trust there will be some new things that you'll possibly get from tonight. Who here is afraid of spiders? Anybody afraid of spiders? Got a picture of a spider on the screen here. This is what's known. If you have arachnophobia, you're squirming right now, and that's funny to me. Um, this is a black widow spider. Now, when, when I was a younger lad, my siblings and I, we found a black widow spider in our backyard, so we made this spider a pet. And uh, we found this spider, and we we're like, this is awesome. We have, like, my parents didn't let us have dogs or cats, so it, right? So we had to come up with clever ideas to um, basically have pets. So the next best thing to a dog is a black widow spider that can put you in the hospital and in the grave, right? Totes. We named this spider Jezebel because Jezebel was a blood-sucking weapon of death. Everything that Jezebel was put into her little habitat that we put in, it was a little Coke bottle, she consumed with, with, with no mercy. Okay, If you don't know, black widow spiders have a neurotoxin that attacks your nervous system. So if you get bit in the leg and you don't do anything about it, you will soon lose control of your leg, and you'll kind of look like you're dancing. But, but you're not dancing, you're dying. Okay? Black widow spider venom is the strongest, it's the most deadly venomous spider on, known on the planet. And so we were like, yay, we, we have an amazing uh, pet, and her name's Jezebel. Another fun fact about black widow spiders is once... The, they mate, the female spider will consume the male counterpart. That might make you feel strange, but that's just the facts, okay? <laughs> Jezebel was vicious. We put a tree frog in her little habitat. The next day, the tree frog was gone. We put a wasp in there. The next day, the wasp was gone. Jezebel was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> because of all the things that we would feed her and the things that she would consume. So anyone like have like family go away out of town, but then like you you hang out and, and do stupid stuff because family's away. Anybody? Come on, come on. Any, family's out of town. All everyone here are good people. That's awesome. I'm the only one. My parents were like, we're going out of town. Uh, don't do anything dumb. And so I invited like all my friends over to have a party. It was like it wasn't many. It was like thirty people or something. And so we we were hanging around. And some of my friends knew about Jezebel, and so they wanted to kind of show the room, the room full of friends of mine from high school, swim team, and stuff like that. We were hanging out in there. They, had, they took this, my friend took Jezebel's little habitat here, ran into the room, and goes, everybody, look what Daniel has. There's a black widow in here. And as soon as he said that, the, the two-liter Coke bottle that was scotch-taped around the center separated and Jezebel's habitat went slow motion, crashing to the floor, and flew all of the rocks and the sticks and everything we put in here flew all over the room. There was a gasp. Time stood still. And one by one, 20 or 30 people crammed in this, this bedroom, evacuated with all haste. Chivalry went out the window. Guys were pulling hair and shirts, like get stomp, stomping on people, trampling one another in desperation to get out of there. Why? Because they understood their impending doom was at stake.
Now, funny thing is, I didn't run out of the room at all because I'm the only one that knew Jezebel had been dead for months. <laughs> so I sat there and laughed the whole time. But you know, I learned a very important lesson through this story, and that's this. When you realize that something is going to kill you, you will run out of the room. Hold that thought. Tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And we're going through this series that we typically have been going through if you've come to Thursday night, large group, and you've come and joined your small group. This is your first time here. We're going through a great physician series where basically we're dealing with Jesus' encounter with different individuals in the New Testament and all the Gospels and how Jesus would lay hands and heal people. He would heal the sick. He would cleanse the leper. He would forgive the, the uh, sinful woman um, who was approached like Stephen preached last week, preached a sermon of fire last week. Thank you, Stephen. And so we're dealing with these issues where Jesus and how he deals with individuals, because by studying this, we can learn how Jesus deals with you and I. So in Luke chapter 7, we get this story that is fascinating, and let's read it together, starting in verse 36. The Bible says this, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell at his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, "'If this man were a prophet,' He would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Other versions say that he he knew his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man? that he goes around forgiving sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask you to speak to us tonight. Open our hearts, open our minds in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Guys, give me the one reason you are motivated to clean your house and your apartment. Okay, bugs, (laughs) because you're not a slob. There we go. We've got actual motive. Give me the most 
common reason you clean your apartment or your room or your house. Visitors, right? You are expecting company, right? Like Han Solo said, Luke, we're going to have company. So we're dealing with this issue with this open-door policy in this Eastern culture. And so you've got this idea where Simon, he's got this open-door kind of barbecue thing going on. And so the door's open and kind of people can walk in and out. And you've got this scenario where you've ever been to like a party or a guest's house or something, and, and it's like the, it's terrible hosting, right? Hosting, like people you invite over is a big deal, right? It's a big deal. You, you want to offer them a drink. You want to offer them a sit. There's the bathroom. Please don't pee in the corner of my house. The bathroom's over there, right? You want to be a good host. Now, Simon is basically this punk who ignores all of these things, and we're going to find out why. Basically, in this Eastern context, you have a culture that shows common courtesy in these types of things. For example, offering water for someone that comes into your home to cleanse and wash their feet because they all wore sandals and you're walking on the dusty road. There's, there's you know, sheep that are kind of defecating on the road and the, 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 as, as you're going from town to town or whatever. And so they would offer a, a basin full of water to wash your feet. Also, if you had an honored, honored guest, you would absolutely, without thinking, give that person the, this, the seat of honor at the table. This is a typical thing. There was a type of culture that would be expected. Now, another thing that's going on in this parable that Jesus basically explains is, an added, is, a, is the fact of what was called debtor's prison. Now, back in the day, this is important to understand, if you owed money... No matter how much money you owed, if that deadline of paying off that money to a lender, if that expired, you go to what's called debtor's prison until you can pay it off. So if you owe a ton of money, you got to pay that off. And if you owe a little bit of money, even if it's not a lot, this was in the culture. If you did not pay, then you do not pass go. You do not collect $200. You go to debtor's prison. Now, sin, guys, often operates in the same way. It doesn't matter how, much, how little you've sinned or how much you've sinned. If you have sinned at all, you need redemption. You need healing. You need restoration. You need repentance and forgiveness, right? Sin says, when we sin, it's an attitude that says this, God, you're stupid and I'm smart. You don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. What, another attitude of sin is this, God, what the devil has offered me in the world is far more valuable than anything you could offer me. Guys, this is why sin is so bad, because you cannot sin without directly spitting and cursing in the face of God. It's impossible. It is a high crime and high treason against the most high. Now, what's going on in this story in the Gospels here is there's... There's two characters to this story. We've got Simon the Pharisee and then this sinful woman that context tells us that she was an immoral or a sinful woman, which in this terms means prostitute, basically. And there's huge differences between these two people. You've got this man who's lived a moral life, and then you've got this woman who's lived a reprobate, sinful life. Now, let's do a little bit of character study here and dive into what's going on here. Let's start with Simon. Who is Simon? 
What's the deal with Simon? He's a Pharisee, which means he's a guy that everyone looked up to. He lived a pretty moral life. He's got basically a list of all of these accomplishments that he makes. And he's got all of these things that he holds on to because he, he basically he forces himself to obey rigorously, to obey the law of Moses. This is a guy who's got all the answers. If you've got questions about Scripture, you go to Simon. You go to this Pharisee and ask him questions. He's a guy who's well-respected. He's well-educated. He's super religious. He also is a punk. Simon's a jerk. He is a punk because he invites Jesus into his home and he neglects all of the common courtesies that you would give any person that you would invite into your home. No water for his feet, no oil for his head, no kiss of salutation when Jesus enters the room. All of these things were things that you would expect him to do. But see, Simon's got this agenda here. He's got this idea. He's got something that he wants. He's got something that he wants from Jesus. So he invites Jesus over to try to get that thing. Now then he sees this sinful woman. She walks in. Everyone, it seems in the context, they know who she was. He instantly knew what type of woman she was. She comes and she starts anointing Jesus' feet. She starts weeping and cleaning his feet with her hair. And Simon cringes and he says, I can't believe this woman had the audacity to enter my house. My house is a house of holiness, is Simon's thought process. How dare she enter my home? And even more so, how dare Jesus, this so-called prophet, how dare he allow this sinful woman to even touch him? Why would she do such a thing? Now, Jesus, I love this story because many times throughout the Gospels, Jesus gives a distinction between these two people. You have the self-righteous Pharisee and then the repented sinner. Jesus is always bringing a comparison and having us, he's asking us, Chi Alpha, RGV, to open our eyes and to see there's a huge difference between the corrupt, the, the self-righteous Pharisee and the repentant sinner. Parable of the Pharisee and the repentant sinner is a perfect example of this. You see Jesus tell a story in other parts of the Gospels. He says there was a Pharisee and then a sinner that wa- walking up the hill to the temple to pray, right? You remember this? And then the Pharisee says, God, I thank you. Like, just like that picture. He's like, I thank you. He kind of beats his chest and says that I am not like this man here, this sinner. I thank you, God, that I basically have a great life and everything's great and I don't sin like this guy over here. It's basically a waterfall of pride, of self-righteousness. And then you've got this, that Jesus says, that attitude, I reject. And then you over here, you have a repentant sinner who, who doesn't lift his head up. The Bible says he bows his head and he says, oh God, forgive me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And there's the difference between those two things. Don't miss that. It's very, very important. You've got a guy who's lived a very, very pretty life. He's lived a very, very righteous life quote-unquote, life. But this repented woman is there, and Jesus brings out this incredible fact with what's going on with the woman. Winky Prattney teaches us his great lesson. Basically, he says this, that there are 
two types of hard hearts. It says there is a church hard heart, and then there's a street hard heart. Right? Church kids will kind of understand. I was a church kid, so I kind of understand the church hard-heartedness. It's basically, you know, you get in Chi Alpha or you get involved in ministry or in church for a certain amount of time, and it kind of gets to your head a little bit because you've made maybe a few life changes or you've had some successes go on. And so it basically gets to your head that I live for Jesus. I'm not like these other people down here. And all of a sudden, you've become a Pharisee, you see. Because we've got this idea, this elevation of ourself because we have behaved well. Not so much because our heart is pure, but because our behavior makes us feel good. And then you've got the street hard heart. And these are the greatest converts of all time. Because these are people that are, you know, completely unchurched. They have like what the Beatitudes calls poor in spirit. They have absolutely no knowledge or any spiritual investment whatsoever. They're completely clueless. You show up to them, they're like, who's God or who's Jesus? Was he, I mean, is he the Easter bunny? Like those kind of people, right? And Jesus saying, this repented sinner is the person who's close to me. And that, that righteous Pharisee that does all of these things, that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do you see this? There is a massive difference between the two. Now, here's a question. As missionaries, as Chi Alpha, which we believe we're a family and an army, we want to reach as many people as possible for the gospel, right? Amen? How do you reach both types of people? See, Jesus, you have to understand, Jesus wasn't just interested in the woman and her repentance. You have to remember, Jesus walked into Simon's house because he had a mission. He was also interested in Simon. He's not just, he, Jesus is trying to reach everyone who will listen, who have ears to hear. Are y'all with me? And you have this moment where this woman comes in. But Winky Prattney says this, and this is very, very smart. I think I got it on the screen. How do you reach any type of hard heart? He says, love and laughter plows hard hearts. I want you to think about this. Love and laughter plows hard hearts. There is no worse feeling when you sit down with someone, you're hurting, and you're going through something, and you have honest Keyword, honest questions. And you only get basically a sermon or a rebuke in response. Now follow me here. There's nothing worse than sitting down and needing comfort, needing actual truth, and someone to help you through something and instead, what you get is basically just being preached at. Guys, I believe very firmly that God has called us to be good friends to one another. Friends. And friends do not have this attitude of, I'm above you or I'm higher than you. Friends have an attitude of, I love you, I'm going to give you the truth gently, but we're in this together. Love and laughter plows hard hearts. If you have a friend in your life that is suffering horribly, you know what they need? They need love and laughter. They need someone that will sit down and listen. A lot of times, guys, we talk more, way more than we're willing to listen. We need to listen to people, right? 
And then, as the Bible says, help each other up gently and be careful when you give people the truth so that you do not also fall into the same temptation. We're in this together. You can have the most stubborn-hearted, wicked-minded, evil heart, but if you shower them with love and laughter and truth of the gospel, you will never believe that type of hard hearts are plowed. I'm looking at some of us here, and y'all are looking back at me. Some stubborn hearts have been softened and molded into Christ-likeness because of love and laughter and, and the gospel of Jesus and that truth being planted in that heart. Are y'all with me tonight? What is Simon after? What does he want? Why does he invite Jesus into his home? Now, did a little research. Have you ever heard of the curse of the lottery? You ever hear about these people that win millions and millions of dollars and it actually ends up like their lives go plummeting to misery and despair? Because what happens when you win $30 million? You basically just made a whole lot more friends. <laughs> friends, right? And so this actually, guys, this is true. This happens in real life. People that win the lottery, many, many times they call it a curse, which it's kind of obvious human behavior. Someone wins that much money, all of a sudden, like, like ants, you know, people start attacking because they want a, a piece of the pie, Right? So in 2006, a man won $30 million lottery. His friends and family kept hounding him for money. Give us money. I mean, $30 million, dude. Joel, $30 million. That's like a $25,000 truck. That's nothing. Come on, bro. Just $25,000. Just come on. Just give me a new truck. You've got $30 million. What are you going to do with it anyways? You see what I'm saying? This is what the family's doing to this poor guy. It's a true story. And so out of kind of desperation, he just wanted a friend. He made a friend with a woman that he began to fall in love with. Anyone say, uh-oh. <laughs> Makes friends with this lady. She convinces him that she is going to do everything in her power to protect him from all these people that are just after his money. Uh, hear the girls on this side of the room? <laughs> She's like, Albert, look, look, I, I'm not interested in your money. I'm just interested in you. <laughs> don't, don't think too loud. Don't think too loud. Yeah. So this is what happens. He gives, he signs over all of his assets to her. And then after that, he went missing. Soon after that, she was charged for his murder, and she went to jail. And the judge called her, and I quote, cold, calculating, and cruel, okay? To win that much money, it can be a curse. Here's an interesting question. Let's kind of flip the coin around. Picture this, guys. If one of your friends won a $130 million lottery, how would you treat them? <laughs> Go to McDonald's. Free, what was, free steaks, right? How would you treat him if you had a family member? $130 million. How would you treat him? Would you text him? Hey, uh, congrats. Winky face with the emoji with the dollar eyeballs, right? What would you do? 
Would you be tempted? Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the pull of money? The pull of money on your heart. What would you do? How would you respond if your friend, it wasn't you, it was your friend. Here's a question. Guys, how do you think God feels when we treat him the same way? How do you think God feels when we say, I want to go to heaven, Lord. I want to, I want to be in your kingdom. I want to be a part of your kingdom. And then, and then he kind of lays down the ground rules. And, and you're like, when things get really, really down to business, and you kind of say to yourself, you know what? I, I don't really want you, God. I don't really care about your kingdom. I don't really care about you. I just want to get into heaven. Just, just give me my fire insurance. Lord, just, just get me in. You see this attitude that Simon has is this attitude of, Jesus, I'm not interested really in friendship here. You see, the Lord desires real friends, not people that are just after his money. He's after a real relationship. God is after your heart. He wants you. When you enter into the kingdom of God, understand, you have not entered, so to speak, just a location. Jesus, the Son of God, is heaven itself. When Jesus removes himself from the location of heaven, guess what? Heaven goes with him. You can't get into heaven unless you're absolutely surrendered and, and willing to be friends with Jesus, the King. You cannot separate the location of heaven with the person. You see what I'm saying? If Jesus were to go down into hell and make his home there, now I'm being very figurative here. This isn't real life, but picture this. If Jesus were to remove himself and go down into Hades and make his home there, guess what? That becomes heaven. Because wherever Jesus is, that's where his kingdom is. Wherever Jesus is physically, that's where I want to be. That's what heaven is. That's paradise. Being with Jesus. But many of us, were just after fire insurance. We just want our ticket into the kingdom. And then God, leave us alone, please. There's no difference. We treat him like this when he's saying, I'm wanting a friend. Simon knew there were things in his heart that needed to change. He wouldn't have invited Jesus over otherwise. He just did not believe that these things were in him, that that thing was killing him. Simon knew there was stuff that wasn't wrong. Did they think of that rich young ruler, one thing you lack? He came to Jesus because he had all these things right, but he lacked one thing. The dilemma here is he did not realize that that thing inside of him was killing him. It was killing him. If you don't have Jesus, you're lost. Now let's look at this woman, this beautiful. There are so many godly examples of precious women in the Bible, and you should do a study because this, is, this will change your life. This woman approaches Jesus. What does she do? Simon gave basically cheap nothingness. He's like, yeah, come over and, and kind of tell me, tell me I'm good, Jesus. Tell me I'll make it. Tell me I'll go to heaven. Tell me I'm good. But this woman is complete in contrast of what Simon did. Person to enter this house, please understand, for someone to go into a house and anoint a rabbi, that is totally normal. That's not weird. For someone to go in there and like honor a, a teacher or honor even a Pharisee to go into the house to honor the person or to anoint them with oil, all of that was culturally normal. What was strange, what was abnormal, is how the woman honored Jesus. We have a list of the things that she did 
You see the example of her tears. She's pouring out gratitude onto Jesus' feet. Guys, the first step away from God is ingratitude. Which means the first step back towards God is being grateful. I want to tell you, if you have spent some significant amount of time, you haven't heard or felt or sensed the voice of God in your life, you need to approach Him with gratitude. Be thankful. And then He'll speak. The first step towards God is a grateful heart. She pours her tears of gratitude and affection onto his feet. Another thing is her kisses, devotion, intimacy, love. She's kissing Jesus' feet out of absolute beauty and outpouring of love onto his feet because she knows what he is going to do and what he is doing. Another thing is her hair. You know, in the first Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says that a woman's hair is her glory. And so this woman, who'd lived a sinful life, kneels down on her knees, and she is scrubbing Jesus' grimy feet with her glory. She's saying, it's all yours, Jesus. It's all yours. She's laying it, and she's cleaning the precious feet of Jesus. And then you have this perfume. She's carrying around this, this alabaster jar, and it was very typical of that time. With this particular nard that was shipped over from, from India, it was very, very expensive stuff. And she's, in some, some of the times there were little vials that they would hang around their neck. And when a man would walk around the corner and, and a woman would be standing on the street corner, he would smell that certain smell. It told him everything he needed to know about who she was and what she was offering any strange passerby. She was a prostitute. And this anointed this oil hanging around her neck, this alabaster jar, was not just expensive perfume. It was her occupation. It was how she reeled in men into sin. That perfume, that scent that would steal husbands away, that would cause this sin to take place. Are you all with me? So when she breaks this alabaster jar open, not only is she saying this, the value of this perfume is worth it to me to pour out onto your feet, but she is also saying, I'm done with this life. There it goes. Pouring it on Jesus' feet, she's laying it all down. I'm done with this life. I have no, this perfume is gone. I'm giving up that lifestyle that I've been living. She is pouring it out on Jesus' feet, cleaning his feet with her hair. You see, she was giving Jesus her whole heart, her whole heart. And the decision she's made in her life basically followed right after that. Now, what does Jesus say? You have this beautiful example of repentance and affection poured out to Jesus. And Simon sees this like, what? How dare that woman touch you? How dare you let her? Your credibility is at stake, Jesus. Why would you let this happen? And then Jesus does, I love the Bible says, he discerned his thoughts. Jesus knew exactly what Simon was thinking. And he comes up with this brilliant parable. And this, this goes back to the debtor's prison things. He says, he says Simon, what's, answer this question for me. Who, the, a certain man owned, lent money to these people. One person owed a lot of money. This other person owed little. Who, when it's forgiven, who owes more? And Simon answers the question correctly. 
and says, the person who is given much. Now, what Jesus is pointing out here, you see, look, Simon is an Orthodox Jew. He would have admitted that he was a sinner. He would have admitted that. That wasn't the issue here. But he would have never admitted that he was in the same category as the woman. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Simon knew that he was a sinner, but he would have never agreed to the statement that he was the same type of sinner or, the, or was equal lostness as the woman. You see, you basically got a guy who's, who's pretty lifestyle, but he's dead. And then you've got a woman who's got an ugly lifestyle, and she's dead too. Because remember, if you owe anything at all, you go to debtor's prison. So it looks like this. Some of us, you can, extend, you can think of this and imagine this. Some of you tonight, you've got a really, really good, pretty life. Not a whole lot of mess going on. Not a whole lot of drama. Not, as Winky says, your sins aren't awesome. You're not selling drugs in the street corner, whatever. Right? But you see, if there's sin there, it doesn't matter. You're dead. Now, someone over here, maybe, so let's say, no, he's standing here. He's got an ugly lifestyle. I'm pretending it's not true, but you get the picture. And let's say a lion bursts through the door, rips his legs off and, and chews him up and then runs away. Doesn't hurt anyone else. He's a bloody, heaping mess on the floor. He's got an ugly situation going on, right? He's dead. But if you, who got the pretty lifestyle, that little black widow spider crawls up your leg and bites you, everything on the outside looks good, but it doesn't matter. You're going to die. As Jesus says, as your whitewashed tombs, you Pharisees, you're beautiful on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. That black widow spider bites you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It doesn't matter how expensive the suit they put on you when they put you in your grave. You're dead. What matters is the state of your heart. Whether you're pretty dead or ugly dead, doesn't matter. You need Jesus. Doesn't matter. Guys, what I'm saying to you is it doesn't matter what kind of background you have. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what sins, what things you got into. It doesn't matter. When we approach Jesus, we kneel down at his feet. What we must do is understand that no matter what type of life you have, we need to respond as the woman responded to Jesus. Okay? It does not matter the quantity or quality of sins previously committed. What matters is the posture of your heart of repentance and trust towards Jesus to deal with that sin. Some of you might be thinking this, and I say, Daniel, I've got certain problems in my life that I can't get control of. I've got certain problems, I've got certain things, I can't get in control of it. What I'm telling you tonight is this. It is not a matter of that you don't have the effort to solve the problem. You don't have an effort problem. You have a belief problem. You know why? Because you don't believe it's killing you. Don't miss this. Guys, the problem is not that your effort is misplaced or you don't have enough effort to overcome the thing. The problem is not an effort issue. The problem is a belief issue. Do you know why? Because when you believe that something coming into the room will kill you, you're going to run away. When you believe that something's going to kill you, you're going to run away. Are you hearing me? When you believe something's going to kill you, you're going to run away. Do you believe that your sin is killing you? Do you believe it? Is it just this thing you, you kind of have in your mind, or do you believe it in your heart? 
when, so you're, it's not an effort issue, it's a belief issue. You have to change what you believe, and then the effort will follow. You have to believe it's killing you. And because if and when you do believe it, you're going to run, chivalry will go out the window. You'll do whatever it takes because you realize, guys, what, what I'm saying tonight is we have to realize what's killing us. We've got to realize it. We've got to realize what's killing us. We have to understand that anything that's not Jesus is not worth living for. Anything that's outside of Jesus is not worth living for. Guys, when you break a law, you never just break a law, you break a heart. God is after friendship. He's after closeness. He's after relationship. I'm going to close with this. On the screen, I've got a list of things I want you to look at. These are a list of natural desires. Now, I want to talk about this. Natural desires, these things are, are not sinful to desire. These are things that every single person naturally needs and naturally seeks after in their life. The problem is, is if you enter into any mindset where Jesus cannot provide those things for you, but the world can provide those things better, you're dead. I want you to hear me tonight. Acceptance. If you seek acceptance from anything other than God, it's going to destroy you. It's like a poison from that spider that's going to spread through your body. You might not know it for a little while, but it's coming after you. If you need acceptance from man, okay, when if you need acceptance from the world and ex wanting acceptance from God takes a second place, it's a poison that's going to kill you and you need to believe it's going to kill you, okay? Accomplishment. This is a big one. Some of us get so stuck on achievement and achieving things and, and earning things because it makes you feel a sense of security. It makes you feel worthy. It makes you feel like you're in control or in power. But we have to absolutely take a, as the Bible says, a servant's heart, a servant's mindset and say, Lord, I'm not willing to promote myself. You, you promote me. If you think I'm ready, Lord, you pr promote me. If you seek after accomplishment, if you seek after that thing rather than allowing the Lord to give you that thing, it's going to kill you. Provision. When we search after pr pr provision, again, these are, these are natural desires that aren't sin, but when we rely on other things to give us these things, that's what makes it an idol. That's what makes it sin. Possessions. Talked about that pool of money. Do we trust that God is actually going to provide for everything you need? Because he will, and he wants to. Safety, security. You'll see what I'm saying here? Let's stand tonight. I'm going to get on the guitar in just a second, and we're going to close. I want us to spend just a moment to look at these things. Winky Prattney calls these things rights. When these natural desires turn into a right, Lord, I have a right to, have a, to feel accomplished. I have a right to be accepted. As soon as we start having that type of attitude, that means that we're, trying, we're trusting the world to give those things rather than God giving those things.
Because he will. But only friendship with him will. Only friendship with Jesus will give you all of these things. Like that psalm says, I could bury myself in the darkest of places, but you, O God, are there. You can have no possessions in your life, but the possessions that you do have are enough because you know they're from God. Are you all with me? As you read through this list, I want to challenge us tonight with this. Maybe one of these things is sticking out to you. Maybe one of these things, maybe it's acceptance, maybe it's feeling accomplished, maybe it's provision. I don't know what it is. One of these things maybe is sticking out to you and you're saying, I, re- I need to lay this down. And you're saying, Lord, something's got to give here. And in a moment, I'm going to pray and, and we're just going to have a moment. And if either of these things on this screen are sticking out to you like, like a fireworks <laughs> and it's obvious to you and you're like staring at that thing, you can't keep looking away. That's what we're going to say. We're going to give this to the Lord. We're going to say, Lord, we're going to have specific prayer. Lord, you are my provider. Help me to not just fix. I'm not, you know, guys, no one here is going to focus on effort. I don't want anyone to think about how I'm going to effort myself through this thing. I don't want to get that out of your mind. Get out of your mind with the things I got to fix, the things I'm going to do. Okay, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to read three verses a day instead of two verses a day. No, get it out of your mind. What we're dealing with tonight is belief. You need to believe that loving that stuff is going to kill you. You got to believe it. And when you believe it, you'll run. You'll naturally run only when you believe it. Are y'all with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. God is speaking to you tonight. Altars are going to be open. We're going to give this to Jesus. And the prayer that you're asking, the prayer that you're praying is, Lord Jesus, help me to believe like you believe. Help me to see these things how you see these things, Jesus. And God, help us to give it to you completely. In the brief few moments, just spend some moments with the Lord.